These are really close to my face. Can you? Am I close enough to? Okay. My name is Andrea. I'm going to read this thing, and I'm an alcoholic through God's <laughs> through God's grace and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship. I have been sober since June 10th, 2011. And I haven't spoke since before COVID, so it's been a minute. Um, and in thinking about what I want to try to focus on, I do want to start by saying um, my story is just my personal experience. I'm not suggesting that you do some of the things that I did. Um, if you didn't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's what's great about us, the different personalities. The steps are the same. You know, the solution is the same. But we have so many different personalities and so many different understandings, and I appreciate that. So um, I think I, so I, had this little, I had this little old man for a sponsor, and after years of being beaten ahead after I would speak, he would just walk up and say, you stayed drunk too long. So now I try really hard not to do that and <clears throat> um, honor him. So I think, I think what's most important uh, for me to talk about today is I've had two experiences with Alcoholics Anonymous and the Steps, and they were vastly different. Um, I grew up in a very good home with uh, morals, values, work hard, you know, uh, treat your neighbor right, all those types of things. I don't remember having any trauma if I have it hasn't unearthed itself. Um, I was very sheltered. I mean, other than that, that's about the worst thing that happened to me as a kid. I wasn't allowed to do anything, and I decided once I got out of there, I was going to do everything, and I did. And I did. Um, so, uh, the first time that I made it to Alcoholics Anonymous, I got there via treatment. And this is again here. I have to say this too. For me personally, what makes me alcoholic is I can't control the amount that I take. I I can't remember ever saying, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get so drunk, I'm going to peel myself. <laughs> I'm going to get drunk, and I'm going to wake up next to some guy in my underwear and wonder if I got them back on or if they ever came off. <laughs> I would say, I just want to get drunk, and what that meant was I want to, I want to feel good. You know, I want to dance, I want to do those things, but inevitably, I'd get there, and then this thing in my head would be like, God, we got to stay here. And so I'd start slamming, and then I'd go past there. That was never my intention. And then there would be these, these events started happening in my life that looked like um, the most important people to me were on the line, and it depended upon me not drinking, and I would drink. So that's what makes me alcoholic, but there's going to be a lot of other things that has nothing to do with that. It's just, it's just places I go, and they're not fun places, nor are they fancy. I just travel around when I drink. It's usually penitentiaries and treatment centers. <laughs> I wonder, can I move these down? Okay, let me not touch those again. So, <clears throat> so the, the first time I got introduced to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, I, um, I got there through a treatment facility. I was pregnant at that time with my fourth child. Um, I drank through my last three pregnancies. So when I was 18, I got pregnant and I, and I drank a little bit or whatever. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to quit drinking because that's what you do. And I did. And so fast forward eight years later, my drinking had progressed. I got pregnant again. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop. And I couldn't stop. 
And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop because I did love this baby. When I came in, I would say, I don't have any morals. I don't care about anybody. And I heard a lot of people say that too, and I believe that to be my truth. Another thing I love about the steps is just how time goes and how you for yourself just start to understand things differently. You start to see what the truth really was, you know, however long that takes. And my truth was I did care about people. I I had morals because they were instilled in me. I cared because I would sit somewhere drunk and think about, man, I wish I could be a better mom. Man, you know what I mean? I wish I could. uh, My mom would want to go yard selling. And I'd say, yeah, I'll go. And then she'd get there in the morning, and I could not walk out the door. I was paralyzed because I'd been up all night, and there was no way I could go out there in the sun with the birds and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd hide. I'd hide in the house. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, so I got there. I had, let's see. So I, I got pregnant, tw- and then you know CPS got involved. See, that's what I mean. All these other things. I've met so many people in AA. One of which is like this fancy lawyer that never lost his house. And I thought, well, I can't ever jive with him. I wouldn't know what that's like <laughs> to have all that money and never lose your home and this and that. And that was probably my first year to two years. And then I hear him speak. And I'm like, oh, you want to kill yourself too? Okay. Oh, you know, you were in a, a multi-million dollar home on a blow-up couch with a handgun. Okay, I get it. So we don't have to go to prison for me to jive with you, you know, you, all those kind of things. So I, I, started to, I started to see things differently over time. So I drank with that child. CPS got involved. And um, I got pregnant again after that. Because I can't make a doctor's appointment to save my life or if I'm drinking or dental, anything like that. Um, and, and so with the third one, I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't want those people in my life. I don't want to lose my children. Those were my truths. I, I loved my children, but what I didn't know was happening to me is it, it didn't matter what I loved. It didn't matter what I wanted. And I wasn't aware that that's how I was operating. I thought that I could just... Uh, just kick in these morals and values that I had, you know, and that should be enough. And I drank with that baby. And I drank with the last baby. And you want to talk about, you know, getting to a place where in the beginning, um, I'd say those first eight years, I could control it. I know because of the, you know, the, the first kid, I could turn it off and turn it on and then get to a place where I really wanted to and I couldn't. And I would just sit as to where it was fun in the beginning. It made me... <clears throat> It made me feel better about myself and more comfortable, easier to talk, dance, things like that. And it just, I just forgot everything for a while. And I loved that because being in my head without it was not fun, you know, all these negative thoughts that I had. But over time as I drank, it's like they sped up. It was like when I first came in, I would hear people say that it doesn't work anymore. Alcohol quit working. I don't know what the hell that means. Um... But what it meant for me was when I started and I got relief versus all these things start happening in my life again, you know, that I want to keep. And I'm drinking, and I don't know why I'm drinking. And when I do drink, my, they speed up. I stare at the kids even harder, and I think about how shitty I am, you know, and I, th- I just start thinking about everything and how terrible I am. And then I put on some radio head and, like, and, and sit there and be like, come on, slit your wrist, do it. Let's just do it. Let's just get it over with. And that's when I'm like, whoa, what the hell just happened here? You know, I, <laughs> it's given me so much joy for so long and then just turn its ugly head. So I went to prison several times, too, <laughs> because um, 
no matter how great my parents raised me, and we were raised on a farm, hard work, things like that, I just wanted to be so different from them. I just wanted to go buck wild, and I did, you know, so I found a a power greater than myself, um, because I've been doing that, realized that too, a few years ago, my whole life, I've been finding things greater than me, and alcohol was the first thing, and then I decided to get into an illegal business, and I didn't feel as though I was very scary, um, but I knew somebody that was, so he's my boyfriend, and we're together now, and and he's my power greater than, which I didn't, you know, realize for a few years ago. And I mean, growing up, I uh, because I, I was raised well, I I wanted to get married, and a part of that would be like being treated good, you know, kind of like being partners and all those type things. So I I wasn't the mother I thought I was going to be. I wasn't the daughter I thought I was going to be. And I was over here looking at a man that I cannot believe, you know, now in a, in a sober state of mind that I even gave the time of day, let alone let him abuse me in a colorful way. Um, anything you can think of. So, and I feel like I'm rambling. I'm not, but so I just, so just to say, you know, to start out and, and we having all these, these good feelings with drinking and all this kind of stuff and know where I wanted my life to be. And then you fast forward eight years later and it just looked like I was sitting in my living room. I was drinking and I wasn't really getting any benefit out of it, but I couldn't stop. My kids were on the line. My parents were just about done with me. And I was sitting next to this man that I was scared of. Um, and I, I just remember I would just sit and think, how, in the fuck, how did I get here? How did, how did this happen? And I wanted to get out of it, and I didn't know how to do it. And that's, so I was very suicidal in the way that I just, that was just a way out for me. I just thought, um, everybody gets dealt some cards in life. And I still believe this, you know. And, and you play the hand that you're given. And I just got to a point in my drinking where I was like, this is my hand, and this, and I, and this is just it. This is my life. It's not going to change. It's not going to get any better. I just need to survive it. I just need to get through it. Thus, fantasizing about killing myself a lot because that's not fun. That's not a way to live. So they sent me to, on that fourth baby, they sent me to um, Freedom House in Louisville. And I can say this. When I got there, I wanted to stop... I wanted to stop feeling the way that I was. I wanted to stop suffering consequences. And if that meant, you know, quit drinking, fine. I'll do it. Um, So they told me to get a sponsor, and I got one because they told me to. And then that kind of set the tone for the rest of my uh, steps in sobriety. I I thought um, my understanding then, if I just read the things and did the things, that this beautiful thing would just take place in in my life. I didn't really believe what I was saying or doing. I, you know, first of all, I didn't want a sponsor. They made me get one. Um, I did not want to do steps. When I came in, you know, again, I was on my fourth kid. I got CPS involved. My, my parents are like, I'm going to sell your house. Um, I don't know where that man is, the love of my life that treats me like shit. I have no idea where he is. Um, I don't have cigarettes. I'm just in a bad way, you know. And then they send me in a meeting, and they just steps, 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 and I remember sitting there thinking, what does it have to do with me, you know, and what I'm going through right now? Like, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my kid. You know, I'm sitting in treatment. And so I just, I really don't know how to explain it. I just thought, you know, I'll give it a whirl, but I put this, my heart wasn't in it. My heart wasn't in it. I was just going to educationally go down through it. So, um, got a sponsor. 
don't really know what I did for a second step. For a third step, her and I held hands and got on our knees, and we said that out of the book, and I could have been reading the back of a shampoo bottle. It meant nothing. It was just a motion to go through, you know. And you don't, and I don't beat myself up. You don't know what you don't know, you know. And so get on my knees, and we do that. Uh, <laughs> she tricked me on a four-step because she was like, you just, every time somebody's done you wrong, you just write that down. Hell. <laughs> 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 I know I got a list for you, you know. Everybody in my life has bugged me over. I can't wait, you know. And so, and so I, you know, did all that. I sat with her. I did a fifth step. And I will say, so I, I didn't really do a fourth step, just like I didn't do a, a third and fourth, because, or second and third, because I didn't put everything on there. But, you know, that if you have that one thing, you're just like, God damn, I got, I got 55 pages over here, you know, resenting. What is this one? You know, this will be, I got enough. I got enough material <laughs> over here. Mm, talk about that one thing. And so uh, we did fifth step. Sixth step, I think we prayed together. I don't, I don't really remember. Again, I was trying to, at this point, I thought that it was a matter of self-control and that if I had enough time separated away from it, and I learned, because I was trying to learn, I was trying to soak up, everything they were throwing at me except for Alcoholics Anonymous like all the recovery focuses and the dynamics and all that writing papers and I was really trying to do my best with that and um ninth step I would go to people and I would say um for example my father I would say daddy I stole your checkbook and I lied to you and I was wrong for that what can I do to make that right? And they would just look at me like I had three eyeballs, and I didn't know why at the time because I was thinking, I'm coming to you and humbling myself, you know, and trying to make this amends. You should be happy. You should be, you know, but I, I look back now, and all I was doing was telling them shit they already knew. Like, I know you stole my checkbook. <laughs> you're the only other person in the house. Yeah, you're a liar. You know what I mean? Um, so I didn't get much out of out of I did I actually got some more resentments out of those amends. <laughs> I did. I did that with my mother and my me and my mother had this horrible relationship because I was my dad's only child. She had four boys. She was a pro. She'd already raised they were like eighteen when I was born. She knew the ins and outs of raising kids. They had me and my daddy was oh this little girl you know and he, he just enabled this shit out of me and my mom was not about that at all. So my entire life, even before drinking, she was in my way, always, of whatever it was. Going to go out, wanting to have money, you know, whatever. She was in my way because he was scared of her. Um, she's a little Scottish woman. She's peppery, you know. She's something to be scared of. Um, and, so, and I went to her and I said, you know, hey mom, you know, I lied to you, but you know, this, this, and that, and the other. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I, I really didn't want any more children, but your daddy didn't have any. <laughs> hurt people hurt people um and I remember calling Marilyn was her name I called her and was you know <laughs> I made this beautiful amends to her she said this to me and I'm not doing it anymore you know this is bad this is a bad experience but those those are kind of what my amends look like I would just go to the people that I'd already mucked up with and then I would put the um responsibility on them to tell me what I needed to do to fix what I had done but that's what I heard him again you know it's it's what you hear, and you don't know what you don't know. And then I looked at 10, 11, 12, and I was like, okay, so if I need something, I'll pray. Cool. Good. Send me back home. And 
I got like raving reviews. I was like a star pupil in treatment, and I, got, I swear, I'd also do really well in prison too. If I'm, you know, I'll follow the rules and stuff. If you let me out somewhere, I don't know how to act. I don't have no act right, and so um, maybe some other counselors. That's what really blew my head up. Some other counselor I didn't even have wrote me this letter about you know how great I was and how I was going to help so many people, and my parents come to pick me up to take me back to Lexington. Um, or Maysville, I'm from Maysville, I'm sorry, at the time, and I think it was about nine months over, and I thought, I'm about to go down here and help everybody get sober <laughs> and see the light and guide them, you know, touch them on the forehead, whatever, however the hell you do it, I'm going to do this. And it was very exciting, because I did, I had a genuine, you know, I wanted to help, and matter of fact, selfishly, I wanted to drag people that I liked along, you know, with me too, and I really thought it was going to be like, look at this. You want to do it? You know, come on. Um, and so, I'm, and so I, I don't have an understanding of alcoholism still. I don't really know what it is. Um, I'm under the impression, I understood the first step to mean once I take a drink, I become powerless. And on that basis, I couldn't quite grasp why I would need a higher power. Because if I just don't drink, none of this shit will happen. And I heard that a lot too, just don't drink. Well, what a grand idea. I have thought about that many times before coming in here, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. It is a great idea, and I'd love to go along with you, but I don't know how the hell to do that. I plan not to, and I do it anyway. So uh, I got back down to Maysville, and um, I went to a few meetings, very small town. I was very judgy of everybody in there. Um, and... I kept going to this friend's house, and she still drank, and I would go there and tell her how sober I was, and how happy I was, and how good my life was, and I can also tell you this, because I did not genuinely do steps, I wasn't experiencing any relief, any freedom, and I didn't know that then. For me, at that time, to just simply not be drinking, it was good enough. I thought that was going to be good enough. That thing was out of my life, um, and I was going to figure out how to move forward. And I, I left, it was like 364 days, October the 13th was going to be my sobriety date. It's one of them. I've had a, <laughs> had a bunch. Um, and I was on my way to the meeting, and I went past there, and I went to her house. And when I was walking in, she was walking out. And she was supportive, too. And I don't even think she was like us. She was just in her home having a drink, you know. And, and she never pushed anything on me. And I, I went in, and she was walking out. And she goes, hey, I'm going to go to Kentucky Liquor. Do you want anything? And looking back, Kentucky Liquor has cigarettes and all kinds of, you know, and I smoked then, and I, she probably meant cigarettes or a, a Snickers or something of that nature. And I said, yeah, give me a pint of vodka. <laughs> and I can tell you that I also had, when I got to treatment, I thought, a year. Boy, if I could get a year. If I could get a year, I can figure this shit out. I mean, that's a long time, you know, for somebody like me. A really long time, and I, was, I used to worship time. I would go into a meeting, and, and boy, if you had three, four, don't have ten or fifteen. I want to be you. I want to dress like you. I want to talk like you. I just want to hang out in your pocket and not do steps, but do whatever else you're doing. I mean, I got that sponsor, Marilyn, because she came in in a business suit, and I said, well, hell, she looks like she bathes. Let me get with her. You know? And that's how I picked her. I didn't, you know... So she came back, and I can tell you that when I asked for the vodka, I did not think anything was wrong with that. I was still really, pr- I'm, my thinking is it's been a year. 
you know, and I, and I go, I do other things too, you know, I don't just drink. So in my mind, I'm like, that was a big part too. I didn't really believe I was alcoholic. I was like, yeah, this is a hot mess. You know, I need to quit messing with this. This just ruins my life. But drinking, I started to, um, I understand what alcoholic brain is now. Never, knew, you know, you hear all these things, don't know what it is, and what it meant for me was I was sitting in treatment and I was planning acceptable times to drink because drinking was not my problem. I had, I did these other things, and that's what really brought my life down. So I would sit in the treatment facility and be like, weddings, that's normal. Um, New Year's Eve, hell, everybody drinks on New Year's Eve. So I just started to pick out these days that, it, and I was going to adhere to those days. And looking back, if I was able to have done it, I would have been raring to go on a calendar just like salivating, you know. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So uh, just wishing my life away, waiting for New Year's Eve every year. Somebody, you get married? You sure? Y'all look good together, you know. Uh, <laughs> so she left, and she got me the vodka, too, because, you know, people don't know. You know, it's whatever. She brought the vodka back. I didn't, didn't feel bad about getting it, didn't think about it. When I was drinking it, didn't really register. And I had that baby with me. So I, I did drink at the beginning of that pregnancy, but they threw me in prison. Therefore, I didn't, I didn't drink the rest of the time because I couldn't. And when I, when I had her, I was in treatment. So she was my first baby. Because the first one I had, I was 18. I was scared to death of her. No, I wasn't drinking. I was terrified of her. I did not enjoy parenting. I was scared. I didn't know. I was young, and I didn't know what to do. And then these other uh, two I have, I'm, I'm drinking, and they are a nuisance. They're in my way. They're always wanting something. Always. And I remember waking up with them in the middle of the night when I was drinking, you know, and, and being angry that they were awake and thinking to myself, Dang, we want a bottle? I guess I know you change your diaper too, huh? <laughs> and just resenting these babies. Not wanting the responsibility. But with this last one, I gave birth to her in treatment, and I would wake up, and I'd just wake up. I would just do the thing and feed her, and I st- it started to feel so sweet. I was like, damn, this must be what motherhood you know, feels like. I enjoyed her. I loved doing the things for her. It made me feel good. Uh, and I really took a lot of pride in that, like this baby. I didn't fuck this one up. I did, you know, I did good. This is, and this is going to be, I'm going to stay sober, so it's going to be good. And I brought that baby with me that night that I went to the girl's house and I was drinking the vodka. And again, I didn't have any kind of negative thoughts toward it. And I think that goes back to the, the mental defense for me uh, at certain times. That's the tricky shit about a mental, it's the certain times. So many times I was like, nope, I'm good. Nope, no need that. Oh, no, you're fine. You can drink. I don't. My life's better this way. Over and over, and it, and it felt like I was choosing, is what it felt like. It felt like I had a choice to choose when I drank, you know? And, and, and having in mind, like, well, as long as I don't take that first one, I'm going to be fine. Um, and so I woke up the next morning with that baby covered in puke um, with a massive saggy diaper, and that's when it, I thought, oh, you fucked up. You did it again. And I woke up in the morning of my year. <laughs> I was supposed to go get a token. And my very first thought was like, I'm going to go get that token. I'm not telling anybody this happened. <laughs> if I can drink once. You know, it's been a year. I'm going to celebrate that. But I didn't. Um, I, I actually didn't want to see anybody in AA. After <laughs> We're from a really tiny town, so I was just kind of like, ah, don't talk to me. And we have, a, we have a, a street down there that has the clubhouse on, so I just avoid that area, you know, altogether. I found myself very ashamed. 
And that's how my first experience went with Alcoholics Anonymous. So via the, uh, the government again and, like, probation and parole, they sent me to prison again um, because I was failing their tests. I was taking in my child's urine who was really excited about potty training at the time, and I would, I would scorn him if he used the big toilet. I need that little one. I need to collect because i got to go drop today. And um, there was a foreign object in there, <laughs> and they were like, what's it? I wouldn't know, you know, and they're like, well, can you drop again? I said, why would I? That right there is great. Use that one. And they're like, we're going to need you to wait here a little while, you know. And that one lit up like a Christmas tree. And so I was back out there after that one drink because I thought, well, I just drank once, and I just want, you know, I'm just going to quit. Just don't get crazy again. Just quit. It's just one more night, you know. But I, I couldn't. It did, it did, I did like control it a little bit in the sense of where I'd be like, okay, okay, you've drank, so let's just keep it alcohol. Let's not do anything else because you get super crazy on that. Let's keep it alcohol. Let's start drinking around 8 p.m. The children will be in bed because that's a good thing to do. Get drunk at night in case the house catches on fire or somebody needs to go to the ER. Just get loaded. That's cool. And about 8, they were in bed. And I'd say over the course of maybe a month, it moved up to 6. You know, it's going to be on the weekends. Then it moved up to Wednesday. And then here we are. And then a little while after that, I was like, nah, we don't really love drinking. Let's go get what you, let's go get what you really want. And I stayed back out there for a year and eight months just based off probation and parole. Um, and so when they caught up with me, they sent me back to prison. And I went in front of the same judge again. And he let me have shot probation back in a treatment on the same charge. Um, and I can't say when I sat there that time, it was so much different for me. My mom kept my kids for me the first time I went. You know, they bought me a home. When they first bought me that home, I was paying my dad for it, paying my bills, you know, doing those things. And by the end, I wasn't paying that man any money, and he was having to pay the bills and buy diapers and, you know, things like that. And and they said, you know, when you get out, this was the first time, and you don't straighten up, we're done. We're going to sell that house. I'm not keeping your kids. And I want, 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 I don't hear, you know, I'm looking dead at you. I don't believe you, and I don't, you know. Plus, I'm not real worried about it because I'm not going to get drunk again. I'm fine now. I completed treatment. I made with, with flying colors. Everybody loved me. And um, so when I was in prison that time, I started to sit and think, where did I, I messed something up, obviously, you know what I mean? And I started to be more interested about Alcoholics Anonymous and what I had messed up. That was my thinking. I screwed something up. I skipped a step. I didn't do something right. So I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to go to this treatment facility, and I'm going to do what they tell me to do and be good. But my main focus was to find somebody in AA and be like, hey, what did I do? (laughs) It didn't work. I tried it, and it didn't work. That was the main thing, too. So I got out of there, and they require you to get a sponsor as well. And I had went up to 15 women, I know, because you have to track it. So you can turn it in. And I got responses like, uh, you know, I have too many right now. Let me ask my sponsor. Let me pray about it. Um, No's. I got a lot of no's. I understand what that means now. Um, And I was at the Hope Center, and I get it now. It's very hard to to get a hold of us girls at the Hope Center and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, I just had this, uh, they called it a renewed interest. And I really, really wanted to figure out what I did wrong. So I would go to this new meeting every day. And listen, and there was always this 
um, old man set against the wall like this the whole meeting and at the very end he would come alive and he would say like a power that's my dilemma like that loud like what we're just like oh my god and I remember it with the Hope Center girls I would say watch this old man watch this old man he's like a he's got dementia or something because he doesn't even know what we're talking about because we're all talking about our day and uh I got a check in the mail, and God's good. You know, we're talking about that kind of stuff, and he just raised up. I'm like a power, you know, my dilemma, this, this, and that, and the other. And I'm like, and he says the same shit every single meeting. Like, he totally does not know the topic. <laughs> and it, it turns out I didn't know what the topic was. <laughs> Imagine that. But there was something about him, and I understand, you know, I had to learn what all these things were. I had to learn what attractive was, because when I come in, attractive means I look cute and you want to be with me or have sex with me or whatever. That, that's what attractive is. Like, be attractive, Andrea. Okay. You know, I'll do, I'll do, I'm going to get cute for these meetings, you know. I don't know what that means. And, but I come to understand just by meeting him, there was just something about him that just I just gravitated toward. And that's what's taboo. You know, we say women say with women, you know, men say with men. The, women, the, the director of the Hope Center told me it was old behavior. And I was like, ma'am, I have never slept with an old man. I have drug dealing boyfriends. <laughs> I find the drug dealers and then we're together. So, no, it's not. And I didn't get with him because I hate women. Some would think, you know, I came in, I didn't trust women. I didn't, I didn't trust or like anybody didn't matter if you were, you know, because I couldn't trust myself. Um, but there was just something about him, so I'd go up and I'd start talking to him. And one of the first things I said is, hey, um, I did this AA stuff before, and I got drunk. It didn't work. And he said, what step were you on? And I was like, I was in a ninth step. And he goes, yeah, you didn't do the first step. <laughs> Walked away. <laughs> Pissed me off. Because I clearly just said I was on nine. But you are old and have dementia. Apparently, you're hard of hearing, too. So, uh, but I would take about, he would say things to me in a way where I would just, uh, well, that made me angry. And you know when something makes you angry, you get resentful, you just replay it. So it was actually pretty useful. I would go back to Hope Center and just think about how rude he was, you know, and, and things like that. And I, so the second time I saw him, I was like, hey, hey, hey. I did, so I talked to you last week. I was on step nine. And it didn't work. And he goes, let me ask you something. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you went back out, did you feel bad? Did you feel guilty? Were you ashamed? And I said, oh, God, yes, yes, yes. I got my life back together. I got my kids. Everything was going really well. And I drank, yes, I feel like a piece of shit. And he's like, yeah, you haven't done a first step. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so I chased him that time. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't understand what you mean. And that's, you know, I come to understand that too. If I don't understand what I'm doing, it, it, for me personally, it didn't matter how much I was writing or putting into because I didn't really understand what I was doing, you know, and I didn't understand what things meant. And he said, you just, you tell me this. Why would someone who truly believes they're powerless over something, that th- so that means there's nothing you can do, nothing. Why would you feel bad about doing it? And I took that back to the Hope Center and I sat on it for a long time. And that ended up helping me love myself and forgive myself. Because I had separated my alcoholism from other things for so long where I was like, that's okay, that's okay, all right. But this over here, you should have done better. And it was mainly parenting. I should have been a better drunk mom than you. That's fine for you to do it. You can fuck your kids up all you want, but I should have done better. And, um, and hearing 
him say, why would you feel bad about something if you really believe you can't help it? Really put things into perspective. And that's how I come to understand that I'm just as powerless right now at this podium as I ever was. That I haven't done anything to be sober. And I don't say that to try to sound humble. I did step. I did steps. You know, and that brought me in, in touch with a power greater than, but that's what I did. Like, whatever this thing is, the spirit of the universe or whatever, that did it. That didn't does it, you know. And so I started to think, well, hell, it doesn't matter what I want, does it? I wanted to be sober, you know, and I thought, God, if I'm powerless, if there's nothing I can do to not take the first drink, I feel like a kid who's going out to battle in aluminum foil. Like, I'm not prepared for this shit. <laughs> so the next time I saw him, I said, well, what do I do? I don't want to drink. What do I do? If there's nothing I can do about it, what do I do? And he said, you work steps. And it sounds simple, you know. I, I thought he was lazy, too, like a lazy sponsor, because the answer would be really simple, redundant. There was one time I was bitching about this girl, and it was, you know, it's a sick man, blah, blah, and he would just screenshot that and send it to me, and I'd be like, you just don't want to think, do you? You don't want to give me a real answer. <laughs> and turns out it was a real answer. And when I met him, he'd been sober over 20 years. So can you imagine? I mean, we used to meet, and I would say, are you sure we're doing this right? (laughs) And I'm like six months sober, relapsing left and right. And I'm asking him if we're doing this right. And he would bang the picnic table and say, I don't think I can help you. You got too much treatment in you. I don't think I can help you. And then he'd get up and walk away from me. He was also my ride, so I'd be right behind him like, don't leave me, don't leave me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mean to make you mad. I don't know. You know, or just ask me simple questions like, well, what's, you know, no power of choice mean to you? And I'm like, well, when I drink, no, you're not listening. Read the word, you know, and I'd cry. He'd get angry, try to leave me. I'd follow him, get in the car. And that was, that was our relationship. He put up with me. Um, and looking back, I put up with his ass too, but he put up with me because he also hung up on me a lot. So anyway, so that was my first step. Um, I I finally understood, like, it really didn't matter what I did, what I wanted, or what I didn't do. I was just not equipped. I was, the way that my body is set up, I was going to drink whether I wanted to or not. And that was very, very scary. And then asking him what to do, he just seemed calm. He he would say no to people. And they'd say, why? They'd say, because I want to. And I... I can tell you, yes, I used people, and yes, I was selfish, and I wasn't anybody that you wanted to be around. I was a horrible friend, you know, talk about you behind your back, use you for money, you know, not a great mom, neglectful, all those type of things. But I was also, because of this relationship, very people-pleasing, and because I really wanted people to like me a lot, and I, and I cared so much about what people thought about me. I mean, it was either like, you looking at me, or you looking at me, <laughs> or are they looking at me? And that's pretty much how my brain was. It was one of those three things. And, I, and then I finally come to understand what fear of people was, because I would hear that in a meeting in the Ninth Set Promises, that fear of people will leave us. I'm not scared of anybody. I'll roll with anybody in here, you know? That's not what it means. I was just, and I didn't understand. So um, he just told me I needed to do the rest of the steps, and there was something about him that was so calm and so matter-of-fact. And every time I asked him a question, it was always the answer was a step or you know, talk to God, and I just trusted him, and I just thought, I'm going to wing it, I'm going to stick with this crazy guy, and I'm going to say, well, I'm just going to do what he tells me to do, and you know what, if it doesn't work, it didn't work the first time, you know what I mean, I'll try it, and if it doesn't work, I'll kill myself, you know, pre-cut and dry, because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't quit drinking, and I also couldn't kill myself, because I would sit and fantasize, like I told you before, but I could never really pull it off, 
<clears throat> so my second step was I would say to him, I'm not a religious person, and when I came in, I said, I don't have a concept of God, but it, that wasn't true, because just as a U.S. American citizen, there's Jesus, and I'm not a, if you're, you know, not dogging that, I'm just saying, I got that idea, and I've heard stories, you know, and conditions, and things like that, and, and what I heard from vacation Bible school one year was like, if I didn't do certain things, I was going to burn in hell, and I was like, that, I do not, you know, I just won't. I just won't fuck with God. You know, that's what God is. And plus, when you're living like I was living, I, there's no chance of me getting in anywhere good anyway, so I might as well just give up. And I told that to him, and he said, <clears throat> doesn't say anything about God. I said, a power greater than yourself. I still don't know what that means. And he said, um, do you believe that this book knows more than you? And I said, Jerry at Rock over here probably knows more than me at this point. I don't fucking know, you know. And, and I said, yeah, and he said, then that book can be, these directions can be something greater. All it has to be is just not of you. I could get with that. And then when we got to three, then I really get philosophical. Like, I am just a garden variety, bottom of the barrel drunk. You get me over here in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm a philosopher. <laughs> and uh, I would say, my will and my life? I don't know about that. And what does that mean? What is my will? What is my life? How do I know when it's my will? God, but, and again, those would be times where he would just be sitting across the table like this and banging the table, and he looked up and he said, you're just making a decision. Stop talking about the other shit. You're just making a decision to do the rest of the steps. And I was like, oh, fuck, okay, okay. You know, I was like, damn, this is, this is easier than I thought because I was ready to do it. So I did that fourth and fifth step with him, and I still left that one thing out um, with him. And um, before that, with the third step prayer, I was on recovery focus, and I had just got to a place, like I said, where I just, I wanted to, and I didn't know the right way to do it, but I had come to understand at that point that I just needed to mean it, that if I was going to try to, I had never prayed, at that point, I still had a really bad conception that I didn't want to pray to, and Jerry said, can you say hey, can you say hi every day? And I was like, yeah, is that good enough? <laughs> I had to get on my knees and be like, our father, the, you know. And he was like, can you just start some contact? So I'm here to tell you if you're new. I said, hey, for nine months. <laughs> and we ended up being together. You know, I was just like, hey. Because um, that's the best I could do, you know, at the time. Um, so by the time I got to that third step, I did want to do it. So I went into a dirty little Hope Center bathroom, and I said, uh, something like, hey, they say there's good things about me. I don't really believe that. But, like, you can do something with those, and then all these, like, cheaty things, you can help me with those. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. And I meant that, you know what I mean? And, and that's when, over time, I just learned to, I learned that I could talk, you know, like I was talking to one of my friends or whatever, and it wasn't this big ritual that I, you know, wasn't, and I, and I could do that. And, and it made me want to do it even more. So that was my third step, the fourth and fifth with him. And, um... I did the sixth step, and I kind of did my little, you know, version of that as well. And, I mean, by seventh step, after the time, I, Jerry explained to me, like, you see all this? You see what you are without a power greater than? You want to keep that? Because I was like, remove my shortcomings. Does that mean I can't cuss and have sex? What's that mean? Because I always, before I commit to something, want to know, you know, what I'm getting into. Seriously. And if I can do that, because I don't, I, I'm not even equipped to do that. You know, I don't want to be a nun. I don't want to not cuss. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Um, and he said, no, you see this hot mess over here? 
you want to be rid of that or you want to keep dealing with it? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. God will do that. You'll deal with that. Okay. So I did a seven step. And I had my eight step from my fourth step. And by the time I got my fourth, my eight step, I did go back to him and I said, hey, um, I didn't tell you something. I left something out. And I think that um, if we do have that one thing, it's very personal to us. So what might be your deepest, darkest thing, you might tell me. And I'm like, you know, I don't, because it doesn't really conflict with my morals, you know, since we all have our own morals. So this thing to me was just, uh, I truly believe if, if anybody knew it about me, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, that there might be some prison time involved. Maybe they would tell the police on me. And I was really starting to love him at this time, and I didn't want him to leave me. But then I also remember him saying, if I didn't do these things entirely, I was going to get drunk. And I didn't want to get drunk, so I called him, and I went over there, and I worked up all my courage, you know, and I got real sweaty, and I was like, okay, here's what I did. And he goes, okay. And I was like, did you hear me? And I said, yeah, okay. Is that it? Yeah. Do you want me to say something worse than that? Because that's the worst I got. And I said, okay. And, it, and that's what I've come to, to realize, too. For me to understand what God is, I had to understand what love was first. And I, and I had that really messed up. Love was sexual. It's what you say at the end of the night before you go to bed. Love you. Uh, before you get in your car, you know, love you. And I didn't know that it was an action. And once I figured that out, I didn't know how to act on it either because you got to understand I'm not somebody who loved myself or others just by nature from drinking. Um, so things like that really made me comfortable. And for the first time in my life, I had told somebody exactly who I was even on a daily basis, because he became, far before I actually had a relationship with God, when I was just saying, hey, to God, I was spilling it to Jerry Sipes. And I leaned on him. And the best thing he ever did for me was hang up on me. I would call him, and I'd be like, okay. You know, and he would say, AJ, have you talked to God? i say, no. He'd say, click. <laughs> did, did we get cut off? Or and he said, <laughs> Have you talked to God? I'll say, no. He said, okay, talk to God and then talk to me. Click. And it hurt my feelings and um, pissed me off. But then over time, I come to realize he was conditioning me. He knew, and he would say this, I can't keep myself sober. I can't manage my own life. What makes you think I'm going to do it for you? You need to talk to God, AJ. You need to figure, you know. And so he, so I got to a place where I knew he was going to ask me, and I was actually telling him the truth, so I'll just go ahead and do the shit real quick. And then call him and be like, yeah, I did. I had already talked to God. Excuse me. Um, so when I got to eight step and I told him that about, you know, how I went to people and just stated the obvious, he said, AJ, you know what you did. You know what you did. If you, if you ran over somebody's fence, you don't need to go ask them what you need to do. You need to build their fucking fence. By, you need to pay for the fence. I'm like, okay, you know, that makes sense. And so my men's look a lot different. So I went back to my daddy, who was sick at the time. My mom was taking care of him with hospice and my three kids. And I said something like, um, nothing, there's nothing you could have done any different. My daddy would say, if I just spanked you, God, I should have spanked you more, you know. And he blamed himself, and I would let him because I got a lot of money out of it. You know, like, yeah, you should have done You got 50 bucks. And he was guilty, you know, and it would help me. And, and so I went to him because that was the most important thing I, I realized for me and him. I was like, there's nothing you could have done different. You did everything right. You were amazing. And if there's anything good in me that's coming out, it's because you taught me. It's from you. And you're amazing. You're the best dad I could have had, and I love you. 
And that was our man's, you know. And that was some shit he didn't know. He didn't know how I felt about him, really. He didn't know it wasn't his fault. And when I met with my mom this time, I said, I can't imagine what it feels like to try to raise a child with somebody who's constantly undermining you and how sad you must have been, you know, and how frustrating that must have been for you. And um, I appreciate you trying to show me the right way because now I know that's what you were doing. You were trying to show me the right way. And I love you for that, and I appreciate you for that. And she'd never heard that either. And so those things meant something. And that really started the course to change our relationships. And then when Jerry explained to me what a living amends was, I had previously thought it was just staying sober. Ta-da! You know, lucky you, I'm not drunk. Um, I'm the same exact person as I always was, but I'm not drunk. <clears throat> and, like, for instance, with my mom, she was an older lady. She loved Goodwills. We only got one in Maysville. And uh, she would come up here every weekend, and she would want to go to every Goodwill in Lexington. And me and my mother became very, very close. She became my best friend. My daddy passed away shortly after I made that amends. And we started to really lean on each other. And I, I truly believe that amends with her is what even made her interested in wanting to talk to me to begin with, you know, that I'd actually owned some things. And I'd actually told her I loved her and I appreciated her. And so, you know, there was weekends I did not want to go to 10 Goodwills. What's that look like, living amends? It looks like I get to Iraq, because she takes forever, She's, you know, and I, until she comes up to me and says, are you about done? Oh, yeah, are you ready? You know, you want to go to another one? Hell, yeah, I'm going to take you to another one. And I went, you know, it looked like that. It looked like, you know, and not standing at the door like, are you done? I'm bored, you know, and I, it just looked like that. And, she, you know, when she would say, I'm going to come up Saturday, I'd be there. I'd be awake. I'd be ready. And over a period of time, she started to trust me. And we started to become really good friends. Um, so when I got to 10, he, I was in treatment, and they had put 11 on a 10-step. So I was telling him I was doing my nightly inventory, and he said, doesn't say inventory, it says review. Explain that, please. I don't know what the hell that means. And, um, uh, review of my day it was like this worksheet that I did. And he told me it was a... It was really a 10th step, and I was like, no, it says 11 on my worksheet. And he's like, read page, blah, 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 you know, and I read it. And I was like, oh, damn, it is a, you know. Um, and every morning when I wake up, he would tell me to read the directions. So instead of just like, you know, where I was like, hey, you know, when I need God, I'll pray. Um, it has really clear directions that I'd never noticed before, never, <laughs> never cared to learn, you know, direct my thinking, divorce it from selfish, self-seeking motives, you know. And I even got to a place, you know, show me the way I love patience and tolerance where I'd say, for me, too. Because I, I come to find out after about a year or two, I'm so hard on myself, and I'm so critical of myself, and I'm so mean to myself. And I just started asking God, help me, help me love me. Because I don't know, everybody would say that, self-love, can't love anybody else if you don't love yourself. Well, how do you do that? As I get my nails done, that wasn't working for me. Um, so, also when I was drinking, I got to a point, like I've said before, where I just was unable to show up and function. And it seems like such a simple thing now. Uh, you know, Jerry'd say, if you're if you're on time, you're late. Because we'd get to meetings thirty minutes early, and I would be so mad when I was riding with him, like because we were so early. But these events would happen. Just if my mom went to go yard selling and I didn't open the door. Um, a good friend of mine lost her grandmother who'd raised her, and I was supposed to go, and I couldn't find anything before the funeral, and so I didn't make it. 
And so there'd be these really big things, and I just, I couldn't, I didn't show up. I wanted to, and once I got something, it was another time where I'd sit there, you know, drunk and feel so bad for not being where I was supposed to be. And that just became who I was for a long time. So um, I'll say this and be so. So what happened was I met somebody who was straight by the book, never told me what to do, never threw out an opinion. It was always like either talk to God or read this page, do this direction. And I come to find out it wasn't lazy. He was just really trying to help me. He's really trying to give me some directions that works and help me tune in with a power greater than now myself. That's what he'd say too. Adrian, thine own self be true. And I think, what does that mean? You know, you hear, you know what I mean? You hear these things. Just like you hear the promises. You hear them, but you're like, what does that mean? I've not felt that before. So I don't know what that means, really. I don't know how to do that. So he went in to um, get open heart surgery. I think it was like four years ago. Got through that fine. Um... He'd handed me this folder before he went in, and he was, uh, um, at that time, he'd been there a week. And so I would go every day. And what I loved about him, too, is kind of like I would say this poor dogs and their owners. Like, I like that. He'd just say no. No line, no excuses, no nothing. If he didn't want to do something, he said no. He was trying to be true to himself, you know, and I had picked up some of that. And so I say, I'm going to come see you every single day. He knew that I worked two jobs. You know, it might be for five minutes. It might be for three hours. And he was fine with that. It was just... I learned what love is by somebody loving me that way, by him just showing me and never leaving me, never judging me, never telling me what to do, never saying, well, why are you just staying five minutes, you know, this and that. Just just let me be whatever the hell it was. So I'd show up, and he got some complications, and he ended up being in the hospital for six weeks. And he took a really bad turn for the worse. And you got to understand, this was uh, another thing he did for me is he helped me understand that he was not my power greater than because I can get confused really easily when I lean on a, on a person. And what that would mean is when he's out of my life, where would I be? Drunk? So I go see him every day, and he got in a really bad state. He got on his own ventilator, and when I opened up that um, folder that he gave me, he thought it was a good idea to make me power of attorney. And, um, and he didn't want to be on, on the machine. So anyway, long story short with that, after I figured out that he wasn't going to come off that machine, I had to make a decision to let them turn that machine off. And so, you know, it's amazing that I went every single day. That was, like, so beautiful, you know. And, like, he had done so much for me, and he had taught me. So even even shit that wasn't it, like how to get a bank account, how to show up on time. He just really, like, all the things my parents had taught me, he showed me how to do it. And I was able to be there. It's usually something I would like to say, like, oh, I can't handle this. I can't be there. i got to leave because it hurts, but I was able to stay, and I crawled up in that bed with him, and I was there when he took his last breath. And, you know, because of him and what he taught me, I stayed sober, and even though I lost, at that time, the most important person in my life. And so it's changed me into this person where, you know, I would say, all I want to do is be sober, and he'd remind me of that. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't get that job. I thought you just want to be sober. (laughs) Um... My friendships, I used to talk behind their back and use them. I love the people in my life. I feel so secure. It's Our relationships are nothing like that. Um, we love each other, and if we can't meet and all that kind of stuff, we just love each other, and I can show up. And um, I'm dependable. People will ask me to do something, and I actually do it. 
and loving. I wasn't those things before. I didn't know how to do those things before. I tell the truth. I own when I fuck up. It's not my favorite. I will tell you that. I don't, I really hate to eat crow, but I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it immediately, you know. Because um, that's another thing he'd tell me about the 10th step. I'd say, well, you're supposed to do it at night. And he'd say, if your dog takes a shit on somebody's porch, are you going to wait till tonight to figure out what you need to do about it? <laughs> are you going to clean it up right damn now? Because 10's a now step. <laughs> Fair enough. Things like that. Just to, you know, when somebody just shoots it to me straight like that, I'm like, that makes sense. Okay, you know, I can do that. And so the last thing I'll tell you, because I'm going over my time here, is, you know, that relationship with my mom um, and how volatile it was and how, and how distant we were over time. And that was just seeing me sober. She would just come and kind of fill me out. And then over time, she got comfortable and she wasn't scared of me anymore. And then she actually enjoyed me. My mom has four other boys, too, who I always believe she loved more than me. But, um, so we developed this really great relationship. My mom got sick in 19 and had her bladder removed and she wanted to stay at my house that's you know this woman wouldn't let the last thing she said to me when I went to jail this last time said as far as I'm concerned I don't have a daughter don't call here anymore and I immediately called back to see what in the hell that was supposed to mean (laughs) and she didn't answer and that was the first time they really were like I'm I'm done I had just you know I had hurt them to a point where they were just they loved me but they were done um and, and from that, you know, this great friendship. So she wanted to come to my house, and that was just so, uh, made me feel so good. She used to not let me in. She used to hide her purse. Um, her friends referred to me as an absolute waste. I don't know why you're keeping those kids for her. She's never going to be nothing. I don't know why. And, and fast forward a little bit. After that, she got diagnosed with bone cancer. And um, she, they couldn't do anything else for her. And, you know, basically it was like, we're going to send you out of here. <clears throat> You ain't got to go home, but you got to leave here because there's nothing we can do for you. You can go to a nursing home or you can go home. And my mom was like, I want to go to your house. Now, you all, that, now, she's incapacitated. She cannot move out of a bed. She cannot clean herself. She cannot go to the bathroom. She's literally, at this point, kind of like a six-month-old child. And for that woman, <laughs> all her kids <laughs> to say, I'm going to go to your house and die. And then I know you're going to take care, like, to know that I'm going to be there. And she wasn't going to be laying in that bed in her own pee, you know, or something. Like, to know that, to, for her to trust me like that. That is a result of these steps, too. Yes, I don't drink, and it's a beautiful thing. But the person that it is transforming me into, I didn't even know I wanted to be. I didn't even know I could be. And so I took care of my mom for three months. And it was really hard. Um, it was really sad. And I did have people saying to me, like, isn't it a privilege to be sober and be able to do that? And I would think, (laughs) yeah, it's a privilege to watch my mother weather away. Yeah. Because I can't, not in that moment, give me a minute, you know, give me a minute. Um, And and with my mom, it was uh, New Year's Eve of 2020. And I went downstairs to check on her. The kids had wanted to watch the ball drop and listen to some horrible Jonas Brothers. And I did that with them. I'm usually in bed at 9.30 or 10. The a meemaw. Um, but that night I was up late, and I hit the bottom of the steps to check on Mom. And because of what I'd seen with Jerry previously, my mom was actively dying. And I was able to react and go over there and scoop her up. 
and tell her, I, I was like, we're all here. Even my brothers that were like, we're all here, and it's okay, and you can go. And I'd already told her how important she was to me previously, and I held my mother until she took her last breath. And I did that with morphine in the house and fentanyl patches, all those things I was administering to her, and never once. Never in all of that did I ever think that a drink was going to make any of it better or any of it go away. And that is a miracle. I didn't want to run from all those painful things. And I don't mean this to just be sad. Like, I can get a job and a car and a house because I'm sober and I can show up. And that shit's great. But that's not the good part. (laughs) The good part is I can lose all those things and be sober I can lose the most important people in my life and not only not have to drink, but actively show up and love them out of this world. It has just given me such a beautiful opportunity to live, and I'm forever changing, which I hope is the point. Like, I hope if I make it 10 more years, I'm not who I am now because I'm constantly just thinking about things and learning. And I would have never guessed that when I came in, I looked at Jared and said, I just want to be fucking sober, dude. I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know. I don't, does that mean I get my kids or, you know, I don't even care. I just, I can't kill myself and I just don't want to do this anymore. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'm proud to be and that I would be a, a friend that somebody can, can call on and lean on. I never knew that was part of this. So I can't say enough good things about these steps and whatever it brought me in contact with. Everything good that's come of me is because of it. These intuitive thoughts, all these things I never understood, you know, living it and understanding it. I'm thankful for alcohol. I'm thankful I'm a drunk. I'm thankful that I don't have the life that I had before I got drunk. I used to say that. I want to be who I was before. She sucked. <laughs> Sober. I was nothing, nothing near who I am now. So I'm so thankful for alcohol. Never going to hate on that. Love it. If I wasn't a drunk, I'd be drinking right now. Um, And Alcoholics Anonymous changed my life. And if you're newer than me, give it a go. Maybe it won't work. Maybe it will. That's it.